You may be seated. My wife is going to come, and she brought a special friend with her, uh, I think, that was going to come, maybe meet you here today. Oh, really? Oh, you want me? Okay. Snuggles wants to tell you today that Jesus loves you. Yes. Oh, yes. We forget. Sometimes we do, but Jesus loves you so much. Yes, he does. Oh, and we should love one another? Yeah, they do. Yeah. Oh, you do that? You give snuggles? Oh, may I have one? Oh, thank you. Oh, there's somebody here today that needs a snuggle? Okay. Yeah, I see her. She's right here. Yeah, I'm going. She's right here. Yes, she does. Yes. <laughs> oh, she does? Oh, he said you did. Yeah. Oh, oh, I see him. He's over here. I'm going. Yes, he said you did. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, she does? Okay, I'm going. She's right. Where'd she go? Oh, there she is. Okay. Yeah, he said you did. He said you did. <laughs> oh, I'm going. Yep. Yep. He's right here. He said you did. <laughs> He does? Oh, he does. Oh, you want to do the whole room? Well, honey, I, I don't think, yeah, I think, um, I think you need to say bye-bye. One more? Okay. I see her. She's right here. All right, Snuggles asks if you don't mind, please hug your neighbor and then he can say bye-bye. Make sure everybody gets a hug. <gasps> hug your neighbor. Yes. What a special day. Uh, we look to the past for 100 years of apostolic uh, heritage in this city. And then we look to the future by dedicating a baby. And I, I feel the presence of the Lord. I've felt it throughout the entire worship service. I, I, God is so good to us. He, so special. Praise God. Praise God. Let's love the Lord together. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and love and goodness, Lord. You do all things well. Thank you, God. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, it's good to be with the Sabolchis and with the church here. What a, what a special honor it is for us. Um, I've 
of the age where I started looking back a lot. Uh, I found myself speaking at a, 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 yeah, I probably don't need any music. I don't know what I'm doing yet, so I'm probably too early for that. <laughs> found myself speaking at a hyphen group from Missouri. I said I would never say this, but I said, I started saying, well, when I was growing up, in my day, and I, thought, I will never say that. I just stopped myself because I could have probably said it for a long time. My wife and I are in the uh, anchors at our church. That's a fancy term for old folks. Uh, so we had a dinner yesterday. And uh, it was pretty cool, potluck and a little Thanksgiving motif with the cornucopia and all that sort of thing. And so I was pretty, pretty proud of the fact that we've been married for 47 years. I turned to the man next to me uh, and asked him how long he'd been married. 67 years. Like, I'm just a whippersnapper, I tell you. <laughs> I'm uh, going to speak, uh, and I'll, I, I'm conscious that there's lots of things have been planned and are planned, and I'm just a, a piece of that. So I, I've got a clock back there. I'm going to be watching. I will not uh, uh, violate that, uh, your trust in that way. Uh, I want to talk about God's honor guard, God's honor guard. And uh, I'm going to just read a scripture. You don't have to stand. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5. This is Paul. He says, therefore, judge nothing before the time that the Lord comes, uh, who will both, both will bring light uh, to the hidden things of darkness and make manifest the counsel of the heart. Then everyone King James says, every man will have praise of God. Other translation says, essentially, that the praise that we get will come from God. Come from God. There was a man by the name of Fred Jones, Fred M. Jones. And he was um, born about 1910. And then... Um, Grew up his teenage years, and the uh, depression hit, and he couldn't get a job, and so he joined the military. He was in the Navy, uh, and as a teenager, he got married. They got married younger back then, and had a couple of kids. He's still a teenager, uh, and he was uh, stationed uh, on the USS Oklahoma, um, and he did that for a, a long time. Um, he, uh, was there on December 7th, 1941 on the ship when the Japanese, um, bombers came over and bombed that ship among many, the ship rolled over and, um, ult ultimately some, 400 men died and were never identified. It was a mass grave. 
until DNA testing had improved such to the point that they could go in and find the remains of this one and that one. I was on a plane landing in Detroit, very busy airport, uh, Michigan. And as we were about ready to get off, you know how everyone's get ready, the, you taxi up to the front and you're ready, you're gonna jump out and they, uh, make sure you can get your carry on before everybody crowds around you. We were just about ready to do that when the pilot gets on and he said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm asking you to be seated and he, please remain in your seats. And he told us that um, there was, and he named the, the, the man that was escorting the body of Fred M. Jones to his final resting place in Port Huron. And um, so I looked out the window, and there coming down the belt was a flag-draped um, casket. And at the bottom of the uh, place where the, you know, where typically the uh, luggage would come out, the uh, bottom of that place was uh, a hearse, and by that hearse were people from all different branches of the military. And they were waiting. Now, normally, you never hear quiet on a plane, particularly beginning or end, but that was absolutely silent as people stood still. And tears were um, coursing down my cheek, just unbidden. I saw people, people don't stop at the airport, but I saw people up against the glass and a big convoy of motorcycles that was going to take this soldier home. It was an honor guard. Sometimes people reduce religion to uh, are you going to heaven or not. But Paul in this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he's correcting an issue that's going on there. There were some people that were Christians, but, and I know this is hard to believe, but they weren't very good Christians. I know you've never met anyone like that, but... They were pretty carnal, and they were doing what they wanted to do. And so he tried to help them out, and he said, now the church is like a building, and Jesus Christ is the foundation. No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ, verse 11. He said, now we get to build on that foundation with our lives, we have the opportunity to invest in what the church will be, what it has been, but what it will be in the future. And you can build on that with all different sorts of types of things. And so he said, you could build with gold or silver or precious stone or wood or hay or straw. He said, it's important how you build your life and how you build the church. He said, because there's a fire coming. He's talking an eschatological fire. He said, it's going to reveal what everyone's done. Everyone's work will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work to decide what sort it is. Then he said something really odd. He says, if your work abides, if your work is burned up, 
you'll suffer loss. If it abides, if it endures, then you'll get this great reward. And that's usually not how we talk about heaven. But he wasn't just talking about heaven, but he's talking about something um, that's translated the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. And in the Greek, the word is bema. It's a raised platform. It's where when somebody uh, won the race or uh, uh, succeeded in defeating another person in the Olympics or one of the other games, they would bring them up and they would put a, a, a laurel around their head and a crown and the crowds would go wild. That would be wonderful. And he said, that's what your first act in heaven will be. The Bible says, now this is not the final judgment. This is not uh, Revelation chapter 20. Uh, this is not that at all. Because Paul said, at that judgment, don't you know, 1 Corinthians 6, 2, why are you going to law with each other? Don't you know that the saints are going to judge the world? Don't you know that the saints are going to judge angels? But this is when the Lord returns and we ascend to heaven and we're there. There's going to be a special place where God gives out rewards. We rarely preach about that, but he mentioned it, and it's mentioned in 1 John chapter 2. It's mentioned in uh, uh, 2 John verse 8. It's mentioned in several places, and it basically is saying sometimes you know that people don't know what you've sacrificed. Someone will maybe make an accolade in church. Someone will maybe uh, talk about it later. Maybe there will be a Another ceremony where people look back at the church and say, remember so-and-so what they did for the church? Remember this? Do you remember that, what that one sacrifice was? But the fact is, most sacrifices go unnoticed in this world, but do not go unnoticed by God. The psalmist said in the 56th Psalm, he said, uh, talking about the suffering, he said, put my tears in your bottles. Aren't they not all in your book? The women would collect their tears to show how sorrowful they've been because they wanted to know what people, what people know or be reminded what they went through for a particular cause. And the, the imagery is that not one tear that we shed not one sacrifice that you've made goes unnoticed by heaven. Amen. I was talking to this hyphen group, and uh, the culture has lost all its moorings. So I, these are young men. They're 19, 20, in their 20s. I said, do you know what you know what it means to be a man? Do something. Get a job. Have responsibility. You say, what in the world are you talking about? I'm talking about reminding ourselves of what we sometimes forget. Everyone gets a participation award now. You just have to breathe and show up. Oh, welcome. We don't want anyone to be offended, whatever. But 
I know, I've left preaching and gone to meddling now. So here's the deal. You only get one life. So many days, so many months, so many years. And when the curtain goes up, you're on the stage. There's no dress rehearsal. There's no practices, whatever. And whatever you do for your family, whatever you accomplish in business, Whatever you do for the kingdom of God, you get like one shot. That's it. That's right. You say, well, what if I muff up? Jesus will still love you. That's right. But you only have that much time. A famous dramatist once said, there are no small parts, only small actors. A world-renowned concert penis prepares her entire life beginning as a child, practicing, living with the end in mind. She lives in the concert. And that's why the standing ovations are not an accident, because she planned for it, lived for it, and made her life count. True story. There's a guy by the name of Timus. Uh, Timosithius, say that 10 times. He was a wrestler. There was none better. All who came against him were soundly beaten, zero to three. This was back in the Olympic Olympics when they were really doing the first Olympics back in Greece. Uh, this is not like wrestling you see on TV or where they throw chairs at each other and jump, jump up. And that, that, I want to, I, I, okay, I don't want to disappoint you, but that's not real. Just in case you're wondering. So the way they did this, there's a circle, and the guys would start out together, standing up, and whoever would throw somebody down or out of the circle, they achieved a point. And when someone got to three points, then they won the match, and they would go on until they were defeated. So when Timosithius got to the finals, he realized who he was going to be wrestling. He was wrestling a man by the name of Milan. He was a pupil of the philosopher Pythagoras. His record has in many ways stood for over 2,500 years as the six-time Olympic wrestling champion. In addition to this, he also won seven times in the Pythian Games, nine times in the Nemean Games, and ten times in the Ithaman Games. Arguably, Milan was the best athlete in the world, or perhaps that the world has ever seen. So that's the guy Timosithius had to wrestle. To no one's surprise, the match progressed quickly with Milan scoring the first of the three necessary points for his win. In less than 10 seconds, Milan readily threw Timosithius to the ground with no apparent effort. The audience was bored, for the result of the match seemed inevitable. Just as Timosithius looked like he would be thrown down for a second time, things got exciting. He shifted ever so slightly, a move that he had been practicing since he was four years old, 
and he caught the champion off guard. Timosithius lowered his center of gravity and used Milan's own strength and lack of caution against him. Unceremoniously, the champion landed on the ground. A hush washed over the spectators. Someone had scored a point on Milan. But he would not be fooled again. Angry at the trick move, Milan came at Timotheus with a chokehold. It was anticipated, for Timotheus had gone to bed 5,000 nights in a row. Thinking of this very hold in his dream, he practiced the feint, the move of the hand, and the sudden reversing and roll. Milan should have known it was too easy. Yet, in his overconfidence, he had not anticipated the danger. Once again, the challenger used the champion's own weight to his advantage as he flipped Milan over on his back and slammed him to the ground. The silent crowd was suddenly thunderous, wildly berating one wrestler or praising another. They were on their feet shouting and fiercely gesturing to the combatants. They simply would not be silenced. Yet it was the third um, point that people talked about for years. For this time, there was no trickery. From some hidden reserve of strength to overpower the champ champion, um, Timosithians inch by inch fought, wrestled, and ultimately pushed Milan closer to the ground until at last a nobody from nowhere took down the greatest champion in the world. Except he was not a nobody, nor was it an accident. Well, it's true he caught the champion after his prime. It is also true that he deserved the victory, for he had honed his life skills every day and invested his life in being the very best he could. Sat with a young man from our church um, yesterday. I had gone to his wedding. Um, well, I went to the celebration of his wedding at our church. He had his wedding someplace else. Uh, and he's in the military. He wants to reach people. Why he went in the military, I have no idea, to reach people, but he did. Um, and he was going to be a sniper. I'm not sure why he was going to be a sniper to reach people, but he was going to be a sniper. <laughs> but in the context of this, he kind of hurt his back, and now he is a, a chaplain's assistant. So I don't know how God fits in all that, but somehow or another, I think he will reach people. But he, he, uh, he didn't want to just be in the military. He wanted to be the best. And I commend that. He didn't want to just be like the standard schmo. I don't know if there is a standard schmo. But he wanted to be whatever he could be. I love it when I see men and women, old and young, who are passionate about their faith and what God could do with them and through them 
and they don't limit what God can do, and they keep dreaming dreams, and they never stop, and they believe that God has something for them, and they invest their life in what they think is most significant. And God sees all that. I've got to feel like there's a, a special honor guard that is in part of process of, of what God is doing, that, and that someday I'm going to see that honor um, represented in your life. So let me, uh, let me talk a little bit about, more about that. First of all, back to Timosithius. He wins, and there's a special ceremony that ensues. He went up on a bema, as I explained. He received uh, from the officials something that had been prescribed in a particular way. A boy had cut down the branches of what they deemed to be a sacred wild olive tree near the temple of Zeus in a prepared ritual manner with the golden scissors. They were taken to the temple of Harem, placed on gold ivory table. From there, the judges uh, wove the greenery into a wreath, and the crown was placed on the head of the champion. From that sacred place, they were believed Zeus himself had stood. Women formed a procession. Priests spoke and chants, and the crowds stood in awe as Timosithius walked up the stairs to receive the victor's crown. Nor did the procession stop there, because Timosithius had brought honor to his city. There were parades, wealth, and he would have success the rest of his days. Now go with me to um, Tim uh, Stevenson's depiction of that special place called the Bema that Paul paints a picture of in 1 Corinthians 3. He said, there's hundreds of millions of people in the stand. Think of a great stadium. Jesus Christ is on the throne on a raised dais, and an angelic host attends the place of honor. Time means nothing, for everything can be known at once. A life story condensed to a single flash of knowing by all who see. A blue-clad angel stands on the bema and strikes the platform three times with a staff and announces the name of the next one to be honored. He pronounces Timaleus, Germanicus of Lugdunum. Immediately, a saint flies to the floor of the stadium, landing beneath the floor of the bema. Whether under his own power or with angelic assistance, I do not know. But he stood for a moment and walked up the steps, watching him, and nearly felt his holy fear. How could anyone approach him who sat there? In the back of my mind, I counted the steps as he climbed, and there were ten. The biographical sketch flashed into each person's mind. Timaleus was a poor man, a smith by trade. Because he was a Christian and because Emperor Decius gave the order for them to be persecuted, Timaleus was offered a lethal choice. He could either denounce Christ and escape or he could endure torture that would end with martyrdom. Meekly, he chose the latter, not supposing that his real story would be known to anyone besides those enemies who inflicted the pain. His body was scraped 
That is, the flesh was torn from him in pain and agony while he was still alive. And his mangled body was dumped into the arena to be devoured by lions and leopards. His last words heard only by the man who threw him down was, My name is Timolaus. I'm a Christian. There was a blinding flash, and Timolaus was transformed into the creature of beauty and glory that surpassed my powers, that passed my powers of description. He was made like the Lord, his face gleaming like the sun. There appeared around him his head crowns. I couldn't tell if he was wearing literal crowns or uh, perhaps it was just facets or aspects of glory. I cannot be sure. Jesus Christ stands beside this Christian and turns him by the shoulder to the face of the crowd. He then puts one hand on the back of his neck and he says to the crowd of onlookers, this is my beloved Timolaus Germanicus in whom I am well pleased. We sat at the table of anchors yesterday, and we were supposed to tell uh, something that no one would know and they would have to guess. So I tried to find something that my wife did not know about me. I put it in a slip of paper and put it in the jar. I think she did know. She never said whether she did or not. That was a descriptor that in the third grade, I wrote a poem about a pig who did a jig. <laughs> and the teacher took me down to the principal's office and gave me accolades. And then I knew I would be a writer. There was one in there that was not hard to get. It, it was, I am a witness. It was the man next to me who had been married for 67 years. Brother Butler pastored in Pennsylvania where I pastored. Well, the other side of the state, he was in Pittsburgh. But he was also an international evangelist. And do you know how there's some people that can just pray for anybody and they get the Holy Ghost? I don't understand that, really. They walk in the door, they start crying. You look over 30 seconds later. Receiving the Holy Ghost. He's one of those guys. He goes into stores and people get the Holy Ghost. He gets on the telephone and they get the, they're like in some other state or something. And yeah, last meeting, he said, yeah, yesterday I was on that telephone and this guy, and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, he got the Holy Ghost right on the phone. I said, wow, that's great, you know, good. And uh, he has been married 69 years, so. I don't know. I didn't. I, I should have asked his age. I, I wasn't expecting to use him as an example. It just came up. But he's old. I, let's just say that. Uh, and his wife wasn't there because her facilities have started to fail. And she doesn't really know people that well. And she could no longer... 
Um, she needs help to do everything. So if she's going to take a shower, that requires help. Everything requires help. And when he's gone, just for a brief period of time, she becomes anxious. And so he left early to go care for his wife. And nobody noticed, probably, or very few, but I noticed. And while I'm proud of him for being a minister of the gospel and for being faithful and witnessing to people, I'm just as proud because stuff no one sees, no one understands, I mean, he's being faithful to the wife that he has loved so many years. And if I see it, I know that he sees it. So I have two things to say as I close here. I'll have the musician come. Musicians, I don't know if you'll come in mass or however you do that. First of all, let me deal with that teenager that's in the crowd or that young adult. The world is a crazy place, and it says you're supposed to find yourself and do whatever you want to do and do this and that. But God has called you in your life. You have a purpose. You have a purpose, and your purpose doesn't just involve you, but it involves other people. And there's people's lives you can change and make a difference in the world and in eternity just by doing the next thing in front of you in a way that God has called you to do. By seeing the big picture, by saying, I don't want to just skate through this. Lord, how can I be everything that you wanted me to be? Sometimes in prayer, when the pastor preaches or when you're reading your Bible, God will whisper some stuff. And sometimes those dreams are so large that we oftentimes push them aside. And sometimes you even believe you have a calling because you don't feel worthy, you think, well, that's some for the future. But the Lord is reminding you today. Ministry is now. Mission is now. Fulfilling God's plan is now. Thank you, husband or wife, for staying in a situation that was difficult because you did it as to the Lord or for your children or whatever, for others, and, and God will honor that. I grew up in a home my mom and dad didn't serve the Lord, but they were together, and they, were, they did their best, 
and I've studied enough psychology to know that they gave me the greatest gift of all to be normal, to be whole. And you're given a great gift to your children by, by being who you are. So thank you. And I want to say a special honor to those of you who, like myself, might be an anchor. And you think, well, you know, the church is going on. Those young people are up there singing. And I knew the songs today, but sometimes I don't even know the songs. And the church has left me behind and whatever, whatever. And what can I do for God? And what a value am I? I want to tell you, you are so much value. You don't have to do anything to be a role model. You don't have to have a position. Thank you for your faithfulness. God sees it, and your brothers and sisters are blessed by it. Would you stand with me? Lord, I thank you for a hundred years of apostolic preaching and teaching in this city. I thank you, God, for the heritage that we have as we stand here today. And I also thank you, Lord. I also thank you, Lord, that you have a future, should you tarry, that you're going to do wonderful things. Pray for the miraculous. Pray for your power and purpose. I pray for blessings, Lord. Jesus' name, Jesus' name. I know we have a we have a special meal prepared, and I know we had other things already in the service, and a lot has gone on, and I won't keep you long. But I think it would be so special if we could come as a family. And if, if this is your first time, your family. Just come as a family and say, Lord, sign me up. I want to do the things that are pleasing to you. I'm, I'm signing up to be faithful. I'm signing up to continue what you've called me to do. I'm going to pray as I pray and as the singers begin to sing. I'd just like you to squeeze this forward as much as you can, just for a couple minutes. We're going to say thank you to the Lord, and we're going to say, yes, we'll be faithful. Lord God, I call down blessings, Lord, as, as we're coming, Lord. I thank you for every founder that uh, was involved in this church. I thank you for every faithful saint. I thank you for every pastor that has pastored this church over the years. I thank you, God, for the gifts that you've given, gifts of ministry, Lord. I thank you for the young people here that are today, the teenagers and the young adults, Lord. I thank you for the young families, Lord. I thank you for the children that are born. I pray blessings on this church. I pray blessings for its future. I pray blessings, Lord God. I praise you, God. We receive all the gifts that you have, Lord. We say yes, you Lord. We say yes, you Lord. In Jesus' name, we lift our hands in praise. We lift our hands in adoration. We adore you, Lord. We exalt you, Lord. We love you, Lord. 